Welcome to Co-Pilots, the podcast where we watch not just the first episode of a show, but also where we only do that on the 2nd or the 22nd, so not this time. That's the episode we need to record, though, because we yeah, did Yeah, no, no. You were sick, and then I got sick, so it's not happening. But we missed our Christmas episode. Oh no, the very shallow pull of good Christmas TV shows. I never said anything about good TV shows. You're yeah, but also the enough. shallow pool of Christmas TV shows also isn't much larger. I think the difference between good Christmas shows and bad Christmas shows is that there's like none of one and like three of the other. There's more than three and also Dash and Lily was pretty good. Dash and Lily was pretty good. That's yeah. my bad. Yeah. So there's yeah. there's yeah. one and then there's like 15 other shows. Oh, there's Santa Claus Incorporated. That was pretty good. Don't lie to me. Don't blatantly lie to me like that. Uh, what about the other one? Uh, Vilma? That was pretty good. Wasn't a Christmas show. Yeah, yeah, I know. Also wasn't good. Again, why are you lying? Why do you just feel like lying to people? They're literally two of the worst reviewed shows of all time. Not two of the worst reviewed episodes of our podcast, but two of the worst reviewed cartoons of all time. Yep. Uh, so, you know. I think I'd rather watch the entirety of The Adventures of Spin and Marty than I would either of those two shows. To be sure, The Adventures of Spin and Marty is actually compelling TV. Yeah, it was fine. It's just really old and dated. And, like, not super interesting in my opinion, but I'd much rather watch it than either Vilma or Santa Inc. So, it's been a minute since we talked to these people, about a month. Yeah, about. Well, I guess about three weeks if we we're actually like talking about the last time we recorded something. And that was the Scott Pilgrim episode, right? Yeah, I mean, it's always, it's, it's been like roughly 20-ish days. Yeah. So, I actually did have a tiny bit of a topic I wanted to talk to you about with Scott Pilgrim. Okay. Are you familiar with the website MyAnimeList? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm aware MyAnimeList is a hypocrite. They have been for a very long time. They've put several things on that they shouldn't count as anime that they've listed. That goes against their reasonings for why things are anime, but they've put it on there. They've put other things on there that they haven't put other things on there that should be. You know Scott Pilgrim takes off? Which is made by a Japanese studio. Yes. And being released to Japanese as well as English. Yes. Doesn't have a page for on my anime list. Yeah. And so then when we look at part of their reasonings, the argument is always that it's not. So generally it comes down to, is it made by a Japanese team? Yes. Is it made for Japanese consumption? Arguably, yes. It has been given multiple like advertisements in Japan targeted towards Japanese audiences. Has large name Japanese voice casts mm-hmm. attached to it who are well known and do a lot of like signings and work like that. And then the other thing that comes down to it from there generally in their like breakdown of roles is like, well, in the team, is there anyone from Japan who is high up in the team? And so sure, the people at the very top are not Japanese, but the head of Sayansaru is there, but then the argument becomes, well, he's not actually Japanese either. He's Indian, and sure, he's been working with Sayansaru for a very long time, and other shows that he's been a lead on have been listed as animes, but now when it comes to Scott Pilgrim, well, he doesn't count because he's not Japanese. Sure, he works for a Japanese company, has been in Japan for a very long time. It's the whole, uh, you can't naturalize to Japan argument, basically. I mean, Afro Samurai's anime, though. Yeah. And it was never even released with a Japanese dub. And it aired first in America. It's in lead act Samuel L. Jackson. Uh-huh. But it's based off of manga, so. Face Dandy also debuted in America, was produced by an American company, and uh, had, start- and had an English dub before Japanese dub. Is also, an as- is also an anime. So the production money came from an American company, but it was made by a Japanese company. It was made by a Japanese studio, but the, produ- yeah. the production team. But do you know what studio it was made by? Uh... I did. It's also it's also done by the same man that did Bebop, right? Dandy is bit by Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. But the if I'm remembering correctly, the production team also did a show called Devilman Crybaby. Yeah, I remember. And Scott Pilgrim takes off. Oh yeah. Yeah, you Science Saru. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
So it's a little, it's a little wild that Mal is so. Yeah, no, just uh, Mal is the slang or the acronym for my anime list. Yeah, but Josh, anyone that actually knows about Mal already knows it's kind of really hypocritical. Did you know the Animatrix is on there? It's listed as an anime. Mm, I did. I did yeah. know the Animatrix is on there. Did you know the Animatrix has like almost zero Japanese people developed in the production involved yes. in the production? Yes. Some of the shorts were done by Japanese animation teams. Mm-hmm. But the, the the series itself was not. Yeah, I'm pretty sure season one of Star Wars Visions is listed on there, despite being produced by Disney, being made for really a Western audience. The, the Batman series that's like eight episodes, and like each one's an individual story, and there's the one that's like Batman in Japan. Uh huh. That's also on there, despite yep. the fact that it's completely American made. Uh huh. Um, although it used Japanese uh, art studios. Yep. No, there's a lot of problems with my anime list. The really surprising part for me was that Scott Pilgrim Takes Off had a page on my anime list, and then my anime list took it down. Yeah. Here's why I I bring it up, because I feel like the one thing that separates Scott Pilgrim Takes Off from all these other anime is, is literally just the art style. Like, because if you look at any of the other shows we've listed, mm-hmm. they have more or less, or oftentimes less things that would make them quote-unquote anime by my anime list standards. Yeah. Other than the art style. The art style is traditional, quote-unquote, anime. Except there's actually a lot of other things on my anime list that have very similar that have very similar styles, actually. Mm-hmm. I would posit instead that the big problem is that Scott Pilgrim is a known non-anime entity that existed before it became an anime. Batman's also a non-anime cool. entity based off American comics. Yeah, but Batman's also a wide enough brand that they can just be like, oh, it's just a anime made because DC has branches all over the world. They can just be like, eh. It's fine, but because Scott Pilgrim is so just directly comic movie and very much has a very settled Western route without massive like world spread or a large history behind it, it's very easy to be like, no. Whereas something like DC or Marvel, it's harder to do that because DC and Marvel have such big fan bases, have been around so long, have such a wealth of history and a history of doing things in other mediums and adapting and working with people in different forms. It's just, it's wild to me because, like... Oh, I agree. Scrap Pilgrim Takes Off is so obviously an anime. And, like, it gets to the root of what anime is. And at this point, I'm just willing to call basically anything that's animated anime. That is the correct take. Like, My anime list has things that aren't animated. Like, by hand there, they have, like, stop motion things. Yeah. It's as long as it's animated in some form and doesn't involve people, like, live action people, it can go on my anime list, as long as it's Japanese or Korean or some few other exceptions. I wonder if Code Geass is on my anime list. It is. Not Code Geass, sorry, Code Lyoko. Oh, no idea. I would assume not. So, quick check, Code Lyoko is not on my anime list. Fair. And neither is Code Lyoko Evolution. That's not surprising. Yeah, I would uh, not include Code Lyoko Evolution even if I was trying to argue that Code Lyoko was anime. Evolution has way too much live acting in it. Fair enough. But yeah, I, I just didn't know if you'd seen that and wanted to know what your take was. Obviously, we both considered it anime. I think we're also on the same wavelength that like Avatar Last Airbender and Korra yeah. and Danny Phantom yeah. and SpongeBob. Yeah, no, I'm literally fine with calling anything anime, man. Anime is, oh, the way the word anime is used as a Western tool when anime is just, just it's just animation, man. Yeah, yeah. It, the way you're using it is to differentiate it between cartoons because you feel cartoons are derivative sure but fuck off there are adult cartoons that have been adult cartoons forever anyways it's such a basic argument to like make though that like cartoons are derivative or cartoons aren't like f- high enough art to yeah be exactly anime like man have you seen out to the lost airbender have yeah. you like have you no, watched the people in the anime fans would argue about it 
just they're gatekeeping to gatekeep and i hate mm. that shit it's why i don't like mal for the most part like it's a good tool for the people that want to use it to keep track of things that they've listed or they want to go to ratings but i often find myself not agreeing with a lot of their ratings i am also a person who prefers finding one or two like review sources and like understanding that person's like review style and why they review something the way they do because at that point even if you don't agree with what they're saying like on a point scale if they've done their review well and explain why they're talking about the way they are and what you know based off the things they've said before if you've given those things a chance you'll generally know whether or not you'll like it even if whether or not you would like it flies in the face of whatever their score is yeah 100 because you know their taste and you know how they're talking about something so you know how you would interpret what they're saying at that point well it's like for instance i think one of the best examples of what you're saying for me is um it used to be called zero punctuation it has an it's now called fully emblematic yeah hosted by the author and youtube personality yahtzee Crawshaw. yahtzee yeah, he has some good books yahtzee is insanely overly critical like yes but that's part of his gimmick and knowing that like he's going to be overly critical of games for me, it lets me know, hey, this is what's bad with these games. Like the, he's going to, he's never going to let things slide just because. Yeah, he it, may like a game a little more than he's putting on. Might he blow these tiny annoying things out of proportion a bit, and making them seem like a big, much bigger problem? Yeah, but that's what he does. But he'll let you know what issues are there, and if it's something you can look past, it's kind of obvious mm-hmm. to you, because you should know what you like. And if you don't, then fine. If it still sounds interesting, then play it. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. You learn something. Yeah. Another good example is, of course, the System Mastery guys. Like, they're not overly critical or anything like that. But, like, I've listened to enough of their stuff by now that, like, I know when what they're saying is going to align with what I'm going to fill out a game. Yeah, same. Yeah. It's, it's just about finding cr- critics who you can agree with in a way... Or not even agree with. Critics who you could understand and, like, take away a, a good understanding of the, of the thing they're reviewing from. Yes, exactly. And, and uh, my anime list is a lot of gatekeeping, so yeah. it doesn't have a lot of that going on. Well, I would argue most forums don't have a, a good way to do that because it's just too many people. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's aggregate scoring, which I think aggregation is probably a very is probably normally a very good way of getting an idea. Yeah. An idea of how you're going to like something if you're following an aggregator who, like, leans towards things you like. Yes. But when you're talking about an aggregator that supposedly aggregates every genre mm-hmm. in one type of medium, that's not going to work. No, I, I've looked at the Mal Top 100 and, like... Like, I'm sorry, reviewing everything in a medium and then listing it feels like a problem to me. Yeah, and the Mal Top 100 isn't, like... It's got some of my favorites up there, but, like, it's also got a lot of um, boring stuff, a lot of chaff, a lot of stuff I wouldn't, like, recommend to people myself. Yeah, because the thing is, when you're talking about a listing like that, it shouldn't be so much. Because a lot of people rate things still based on genre or how they feel about it on a aggregator of normal people's scores, right? Mm-hmm. Because your enjoyment's going to come into it. But if you want like a top 100 aggregate of a medium, then you have to strictly be talking about those scores based in how it works in that medium. So how well it's drawn, not what the style it's drawn in, but just like how well it's done, the framing, the angle, the pacing, the story, not whether you enjoy the content of the story, but just how well it's presented, how well it's told. All of those things is what that review should is what that score should reflect but when you're talking about a score based upon a bunch of different people giving their own entire reasons which might be oh well this feels a bit derivative of this thing or oh i don't like how this magic system works or i just don't like that character design even if the character design is presented well you just don't like something about it yeah that's not a review of a work in the medium that's a review of the show which is fair but it's not going to help score against every other type of that media 
You know no, what I mean? And though like if you look at my anime list's top one hundred, there's a there's an obvious like leaning towards a specific type of anime. Like these are so these are just out of the top ten. You have Fullmetal Alms Brotherhood, Steins Gate, Gintama, Shingeki no Kyojin, Attack on Titan, Bleach, Thousand Year Blood o- Blood War, Hunter Hunter, and that's just like out of the top ten. Yeah, it leans towards action heavy things, so those are what's popular and it's what most people watch. So you're there, gonna get more reviews for it. There's actually a lot of Gintama in the top ten. Yeah, but when you're talking about a mediums score, you need something much more like what the AFI movie list is the American Film Institute. Yeah. Because they review and list like the top a hundred films or fifty films, some shit like that. Yeah, yeah. Just films in general. But they don't like they're not reviewing plot points or like specific characters or like story arcs. They're they're reviewing like actual They're reviewing it from a cinemographic lens. Like how is this good cinema? Exactly. And even then there are problems with the AFI. Uh, a lot of it's well most of it's old white directors. Also it's classic films, so they have to be in there, you know that shit. Also you're trying to grade subjective things via an objective lens that's always gonna cause problems. Yes. So even though like they're trying to remove the like biases that genre may create or that certain like actors or directors may create it's still gonna affect their in- the end result because people are subject to subjectivity like just yeah and then it's also affected by the people you have doing the scoring of it because like mm-hmm. the afi isn't open to everyone they're whether well, you're listening it's like hey we're asking these top reviewers these top journalists whatever and whoever you have on there is going to change it as well mm-hmm. i mean to spin that off the video game awards were last week they were and the video game awards are 10 percent by popular vote yep Except for one category specifically, which is which is like all people's choice, yeah. yeah. Um, and the other ninety percent is from the voting panel, but the voting panel are video game reviewers selected by top studios and like people involved yeah. in, the, in the like in video games. So mostly your your panel consists of male middle aged white guys. That's yeah, mostly the what the part, panel yeah. is, and so the, re- the awards tend to lean in a similar way. Um, so you know, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's there's always going to be a problem when you're looking at aggregate reviews or aggregate or aggregate things to award anything. Mm-hmm. It's a hard thing to figure out and flesh out and figure out what you're going to do with it. But it just kind of is what it is. I think we nailed nailed it. The best way to like the best way to use reviews to to help you decide on what media to consume or um, purchase is strictly to find reviewers who you understand. Yep. That whether it's just because the way they phrase it, or perhaps even you just like the way they write it or the way they present it, mm-hmm. but that you understand what they're talking about in a way that explains whatever they're trying to review to you in a manner that feels comfortable and like you're actually understanding what that game, movie, show, or whatever it's about. Spinning off of the aggregate scores, though, uh, Doctor Who came back for a three-episode run with David Tennant. Yeah, how was uh, that? He's the 14th Doctor now, but also... The 10th? 10th? Yeah. Yes. Those three episodes were amazing, but like I said, I'm spinning this off of the idea of aggregate stores. The second episode in this three-part series uh-huh. is the highest rated an episode has been since uh, Chimnall started Chimnall's run back with um, Jodie Foster. Oh, okay. Uh, which is not saying a lot because the Jodie Foster run is severely bogged down in the ranks. Yeah. Both because the the writing was very bad, and like I could get into how the writing was bad if we want to, but that feels like a topic. That feels like an entirely different topic. But also yeah. because people didn't like Chibnall. People mm-hmm. didn't like the fact that there was a woman doctor. People didn't like the quote-unquote heavy-handedness of some of Chibnall's stories. And, well, that's a fair criticism. 
a lot of it was review bombing because it wasn't the doctor and the doctor casting because it were wasn't rtd to. and it wasn't moffat yeah. and it was a woman and yeah and even then after we saw moffat leave people were complaining about just having russell t davies well no russell t davies gave it over to moffat with sorry the other way around when <laughs> davies left we had people complain that it was just moffat and then when moffat left of course they're gonna complain again yeah but also chibnall shouldn't have been writing shouldn't have been writing soft sci-fi yeah like chibnall's writing are best when it's like hard factual worlds and uh well doctor who is the exact opposite <laughs> it's of very it. much soft squishy sciences mm-hmm. timey-wimey and whatnot <laughs> to take a russell t davis quote timey-wimey uh but the second episode actually was a, one of the best doctor who episodes since capaldi's run okay it was Capaldi's called, one was pretty great. It was called Wild Blue Yonder, and it takes place at the very edge of space. Okay. Like the edge of the, the universe, not the edge of the known universe, where the universe ends, because okay. yeah. the universe is constantly expanding, yeah, yeah, yeah. it has an edge point, uh, and it involves a, a type of, cre- the, the monster of the week is called a not thing. Okay. It's the, it's the things that exist beyond the universe. Yeah. Not things. Gotcha. Not things. Um, and it was so good. The episode was very good. It, like it's dealing with stuff that Chibnall set up in a way that Chibnall didn't deal with, uh, namely in the Timeless Child stuff. Okay, okay. But that episode was so very good, and there's just zero complaints you could have about that episode of Doctor Who. And as such, it was the highest reviewed episode since Capaldi stuff. Fair enough. That said, episode three was yesterday. Yeah, the yeah, last I'm aware. the last episode in the tenant run before Nakudi Gatwas takes over as do- as the Doctor. Yeah, and it, I assume they used this as a moment to introduce Nakudi Gatwa at some point as the Doctor. Yes, we've introduced Nakudi Gatwa. We have introduced a new concept entirely called bi regeneration because Doctor Who's entire concept, the entire reason why it's existed for sixty years, hinges on the idea of regeneration, where when one Doctor's time is up. He regenerates into a new person. Like, yeah. he still has his memories, but he's he's got a new personality. He's like, it's like, it's a little bit like how when we sleep, we digest all the stuff from the day. But when yeah. doc- when a Time Lord regenerates, they're... They just di- wait. He wakes... The, the Doctor wakes up in a new mood. They, yeah, they're, re- they're digesting everything from the previous life. Sometimes you wake up grumpy, a.k.a. You Peter wake up Capaldi. Peter Capaldi. Yeah. Um, but by generation occurs when... To, it, it, a, it's supposed to be a time word myth, and B, it occurs when you're, the regeneration of you occurs in your timeline after that doctor has already existed for a while. So what this means is Nakuti Gatwa's doctor has already been existing parallel to the other doctors on their time run. Okay. And he's just now spontaneously appearing. Okay. Which means Nakuti Gatwa's doctor has already dealt with all the like trauma and shit from the Chimnal run. Yeah. He's in a much better place. He's a much happier person. That's good. Uh, We just get to skip all of that because he's already been, a- been in existence for a minute. Dope, dope. But it also means that Tenet's still the doctor. Yeah. We have the 14th and 15th Doctor existing concurrently, and the fan theory is, do you remember in Tenet's run? Because I know you watched all the way through Tenet. Yeah. There was an episode where they end up in a museum. Yes. And it's run by somebody called the Curator. Yes. Who heavily hints that he is the Doctor. Yes. The theory is that Tenet becomes the Curator. Fair enough. That's been a theory that has existed before. Yeah. And then Tenet stopped and they're like, okay. Because Tenet has effectively, Tenet's Doctor, the 14th Doctor, has retired and now has a family life with his friends where he's like the uncle to a, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's very nice. And Nakudigawa gets to go on and be his own doctor and like do his own stuff. Cool. The, the really interesting part about the, the bi-generation, though, is Russell T. Davis said by creating... Word of God. When bi-generation happened, it broke the timeline in such a way that bi-generation occurred for all the doctors previously. 
Meaning that the first through thirteenth Doctor are still out there, yeah, potentially running around. Dope. It's it's also a little cheesy. It's like a big, like they're obviously trying to do a multiverse thing. Yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, I know Capaldi still said he's never coming back. Eccleston still said he never he's never coming back. So like, there's only so much. Maybe we can get a good run with Jodie Foster or like a good spinoff with Jodie Foster. Who knows? Because she was she was done wrong. She deserved better. Yeah, I would agree with that part. But I'm really excited. Um, Nakuti got was actual first full length Doctor Who stuff is on Christmas with the Christmas special because that's how we normally introduce Doctors. Yeah, Doctor Who's Christmas specials are like British tradition. Yep, and I'm I'm very excited. I, I know I'm going way too deep on Doctor Who when this isn't a Doctor Who podcast, but you are going very deep into Doctor Who. Like, deep, late-stage Doctor Who things, very nitty-gritty, things that mean very little to me, and I'm not too far behind you in the series, and will mean basically nothing to anyone who's not where you are. Hey, to be fair, you're actually like two and a half seasons behind me. Yeah, not very far in the scheme of Doctor Who. No, but I think I think I can, it's okay to go really deep in Doctor Who, because we're getting a new Doctor. Uh-huh. And, tr- and like, it's not just a new Doctor. There, this is season one of Doctor Who now. Nakuti was yep. Doctor Mark's season one. They're restarting yep. Doctor Who. And I think, like, just like Eccleston was a good point for people to onboard, Got was going to be a good point for people to onboard. Fair. So, like, if anything I'm saying about Doctor Who sounds compelling to you, don't worry about catching up with everything. Just watch the Christmas special and then, like, watch Got was season and see if you like it. And if you do, then maybe consider how far back you want to go and, like, how much you want to catch up on. I would suggest going back to at least Eccleston and, like, New Who. But classic Who's almost all put back together, so. Yeah. <sighs> cool. Now, uh, I don't have a tangent, because you stole my actually perfect tangent. Oh, my bad. Was it a VGA tangent? It it was a video game tangent, Mm, yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was going to speak about, hey, you know what actually surprisingly won an award at the VGA, despite not winning one when it came out at all? Mm. Despite being so hyped up, Cyberpunk 2077. Hey, do you know what I just started recently playing? Cyberpunk 2077, but someone was just like... Vaguely tied to aggregate scores. Yeah. Doctor Who, Doctor Who, Doctor Who, Doctor Who, Doctor Who, Doctor Who, Doctor Who. Do you want me to tie you back so you can nope. like get that? Nope, I'm tra- done now. That was my topic. We're done. <laughs> okay, so Cyberpunk, how's that going? What do nope, you enjoy? I already did my topic. I've played some Cyberpunk 2077. Topic done. That's justice. That's that ju- you you've ruined it, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. I did want to talk about the VGA some more, so if I just go and talk about the VGA some more, maybe you could spin off into Cyberpunk no, from there. doesn't work that way. What, what award did they even win? Uh, they won the Best Continuing Support for a Game. Oh, Best Games is a live service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think that's the name of the word. I think yeah. you actually said it right. Yeah. Uh, uh, but, like, how did they win that award? Aren't there other games, like... Aren't there a whole bunch more games actively doing more to make their games better? Yeah, I would agree that there are. Like, fucking Fortnite is constantly doing things, all their different seasons, battle passes, events, uh, islands that they've made to to basically just make it into Roblox with all the different game modes, forms, and things you can do. The fact you can build your own islands to make them your own thing. Well, like, in addition to that, it has entirely, like, separate games within it now. Like, you have Fortnite Battle Royale, but you have, like, Lego Fortnite. Lego Fortnite has survival on it as well. And Fortnite Festival, which is a rock band clone, and, like... So I would argue Fortnite's doing more. I would argue Apex is probably doing more as well. Oh, it's, it's... Cyberpunk winning the award is kind of like how No Man's Sky won the award like three or four years after No Man's Sky came out. They're like, yeah, No Man's Sky gets this award for the game being in the state they said it would be in four years ago. Yeah, which let's be honest, I think these are probably illustrative issues of what we're talking about with the scoring of things because let's face it, Fortnite's not super appealing to probably the more 
Fortnite's a kids game. Like I don't want to like. Yeah, make, it's like, more targeted it, towards but... a younger audience, whereas journalists probably aren't sitting down playing Fortnite a lot. Or if they are, it's to maybe play a few quick games about battle royale. I doubt they're playing through all the game modes or doing all the weird shit, creating a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. No, hundred percent. Fortnite. But Cyberpunk's a single player game. You can sit down, grind down some quests, have some fun, explore. Look, it's pretty. It's mature. I think when you're talking about like a group of aggregate, a group of reviewers, a group, a panel of judges who are mostly in their 30s and 40s and have children, most likely, the ability to hit pause on a game is a godsend. I I have no children, but I'm almost 30, and sometimes I just got to take a shit. Sometimes I just want to pause a game. Sometimes I just need to step outside for a breath of air. Like you can't do that in the middle of a Fortnite round, dude. Yeah, like, ne- I've never liked the ability to not be able to pause a game. Like, uh, like the moment I first played a, an online game with anyone, I was like, I can't pause, and I don't like this. Me playing Dark Souls for the first time, at least, like, hey, I'm gonna just pause and like figure some stuff out, and then I died because I was in the pause screen. Dude, like, that, that's one of the things that pisses me off the most about Dark Souls. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, I'm supposed to be. Like, if I need to pause a game, it's my. It's probably because I gotta fucking do something. Fuck off. Like, hey, I paused Dark Souls because my fucking stove caught on fire because I had ki- food warming up in the background. Who fucking knows? Because I accidentally left the stove on and put an oven mitt on it. Yeah, who knows? Fuck you. Fuck you, FromSoft. Pausing is essential and actually important. Sometimes people need to fucking do it. Look, I love Bloodborne, but uh, I agree. Pausing is like a pivotal... Pausing is an important part of gaming, okay? Yeah. Also, like, do you not remember... There might be some listeners who don't, but do you not remember, like, late 90s, early 2000s when, like, your memory card's not working, so you just had to pause so you could, like... Jiggle it and get it to work, yeah. Or so you could come back in six hours and continue playing, or, like... You pause for the night so you could you could play more in the morning or the next day because you don't yep. have a functional memory card. Yeah. Like this is this is a generational trauma that that memory card based save systems did, and now we can't pause. Look, have you tried to play Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles without a memory card on the GameCube? I don't know. Trust me, you need to be able to pause to do it though, and then hope your GameCube doesn't overheat. Uh huh. So you so you just point some fans at it over like, yeah. Oh, the generational. But anyways, Cyberpunk. Yeah. Yeah, it's a game. It won an award. Okay, if you're not going to dive into Cyberpunk, I'll dive into no, Cyberpunk. Because Cyberpunk's Cy- been pretty good. Because Cyberpunk's been god fucking awful. No, they changed things you didn't like and didn't give it a chance. No. You're a little babby. You're they- a little babby and you're upset. They did you're just- a little babby and you're upset. They didn't just change It's things. called a quality of life enhancement. Take that quality of life enhancement and shove it up your ass. <laughs> Because they didn't just enhance the the gameplay or anything, they reset everybody's skill trees. They cha- they didn't respect your attributes, and like now the new attribute breakpoints are all wrong. So like you may have like been leveling up in a certain way, and now that no longer works. And because you only get one attribute reset if you've already done it, you're fucked. And if you haven't already done it, well now you get the one. At- now you have to use your one attribute reset to like respect yeah. in a way that makes it's fucking stupid. And on top of that, they nerfed my entire build. So yeah, I was pissed and uninstalled. Yeah. Okay. Apparently your build is not as nerfed as you thought it was. It's not? No. I can't build it with my current attribute spread, so that's what Yeah, I'm you at. can't build it with the way you currently are, but not as nerfed as you thought it was. No, no that, means it's, that means it's nerfed. Why are, I said it's not as nerfed. You said it was completely nerfed. It's not completely nerfed. It's still a viable way to play the game. It's just somewhat nerfed. It is not completely nerfed. I didn't say it wasn't nerfed at all. And I, I wasted, it's not as nerfed as you said it was. And I wasted so much money in in-game resources. Oh, yeah, that sucks. Building healing items, which now don't exist anymore. I mean, they do. They're just like Estus Flasks, Josh. It's like FromSoft now. 
fucking. It just comes it. back. It's stupid. It's like an Estes flask. Estes flasks don't just come back. You have to get to a sort of save point to like recharge those. Same with Cyberpunk. No, Cyberpunk, they just have a cooldown now. Yeah, you have to meet that no, point. It's you. so far in the fuck future. You. It's a certain point. Fuck you. Yeah. So, you have to survive like the 20 seconds it takes to come back. I think, I don't know. I've never used one in combat. I've used them on accident. I used to do that all the time when I played Cyberpunk. But you enjoyed <laughs> Cyberpunk then? like Yeah, I mean, it's a very pretty game. I haven't done a lot of story stuff because they opened up the world and like, hey, you can go explore things and do a side quest. And I was like, go complete everything about the game besides the story? Sure. And then if someone's like, well, that doesn't make sense. You're just going to end up being overloaded. And it's like, well, this enemy's kind of scale. And also, um, fuck you. I'm apparently, spoiler alert for a game that's now years old, I'm apparently dying from like the moment I'm allowed to open explore the open world look yeah. no matter what i do here no one's gonna make a logical ludo narrative sense yeah so i'm gonna go explore everything first that way then when i'm tearing through things trying to figure shit out before i ostensibly die it can all be done in a quick fast pace and feel natural to the character honestly the game needed more the game needed more of an open world and more stuff to freely do before it set this ludo narrative clock on you yeah because cyberpunk is a great game i really enjoyed my time with it until they patched me out of it but uh the one thing that, that makes it really difficult to like engage with the game is that your character is continuously dying yeah that is the story you are gonna be dead in like two weeks tops there was a month tops i said but yeah but uh no i mean i've spent like at least a year in, in night city just yeah fucking around and like if they had given you a, a fuck around time before Jax dies and before you get Keanu Reeves stuck in your head, like maybe yeah. like not like it just needed to be like when before well, you went to the Outer Socket Tower did that job. Anytime you apply a ticking clock to a character as a story thing and then don't do anything to make the ticking clock matter, then it's always going to throw off your narrative. Which I get it because you don't want to force players like to rush through the game, especially a wide open world game like Cyberpunk. Yeah. But at the same time, maybe that shouldn't be your story if you're not going to, like, yeah, pressure it's it. it's always been a problem I've had with games that do it. It's like, you can tell a really good story that way. But if you're not just trying to tell a strictly narrative story and you're trying to be a more open game like that, it doesn't feel like a very viable story. Mm -hmm. Like, eh. like hey, the whole Johnny Silverhead story thing could have been a DLC story for a different character. Could have just been a different story. I mean, Witcher 3 has the same issue to an extent, right? Because yeah, yeah. you're supposed to be, like, relentlessly chasing down your surrogate daughter to prevent the wild hunt from catching her and killing her. And yet, uh, I'm gonna go explore all the islands of Skellige, so I'll see you in three months. Yeah, and, like, my biggest problem, though, is, like, The Witcher, that still makes some sense, like, the way that it's... It, it, the way it's telling you to experience the game still works that way, because mm -hmm. you still have to do some witchery things, and you would still feel like a witcher doing those. Mm -hmm. I don't think you feel much like an edge runner if you go through the story doing it the way they're telling you to. You just feel like someone's struggling to survive, which is fair, that's kind of what you are, but... All the promotional material, all the things they're telling you to enjoy about Cyberpunk is like, enjoy beating an edge runner, ex enjoy experiencing Night City. You can't do that if you're on a ticking clock like that. That is mm -hmm. not what your character, that is not what V, the character in the story would be doing. V is not being an edge runner. Yeah. Sure, they ostensibly are because you have like a year with Jackie told in a montage. Good montage though. Yeah. But like also, uh... That means if you're playing through the narrative and trying to play the narrative and experience the narrative, you're not going to feel like the badass edge runner. You're going to feel like the squishy kid who's in over their head. Because that's who you are. Yeah. V is 
like as much as like everybody wants their V to be a badass, and like as much as the story necessitates V being a certain level of badass, V shouldn't be a badass. V yeah, you should are be... a low level thug with big aspirations that just suddenly got thrown in the deep end, and you're like, oh fuck, I'm not ready for this. Frantically scrabbing and clawing to like even survive. Yeah, yeah like because if you look at it from the very beginning, you don't even really have any fucking cyberware at the start of the game. You just have eyes, and you get more because you got massively fucked up, and mm-hmm. you happen to know a very nice Ripper doctor. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, I. I really was enjoying cyberpunk i just and i will eventually probably go back and restart the game and start from scratch i just didn't want to dump 60 hours when i do have one very important question though yeah yeah is it bad that i have 11 attribute points i haven't spent and 15 perk points i haven't spent no because i think it might i think my character has like six attribute points and a bunch of well i don't know how many perks i points i have because they, they refunded all of those but i have like six attribute points i was just sitting on because i want to like build Cyberpunk's a game that, like, especially now with the re- with the rebuild, yeah, really wants you to like plan ahead your character build. Yeah, and I wasn't always sure which direction I needed to be building towards to play the character I wanted to play. So I said I set on attribute points till I was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna need this, so let's build towards that. Yeah, mm, I think it's fine. My problem is, uh, I want lots of cyberware because it's neat. Mm-hmm. Cyberware is potentially the coolest part about Cyberpunk as a setting, and I like net running as an idea. Mm-hmm. But. Like, I want to go with cool, but nothing in the cool trees actually feels useful. Cool tree is the tree I'm in, right? Knives yeah. and swords and... And it has some sniping stuff, which I really want, but... Yeah. You don't want to invest as heavily to get to the stuff that you want when the rest of the stuff is stuff you don't want. Yeah, like... Fair enough. And it has some, like, really good movement options to, like, be sneaky, and that's how I play through games, but I don't... I have found I don't need those options to just be sneaky and murder everything, even in areas that are vastly overleveled for me. Like, I literally have done multiple missions now in areas where I shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Like, I literally, the other day, just fucking around, I broke into an Arasaka mansion because I could. Yeah. But, yeah, as you do. And stole a bunch of shit. And while I was there, I was like, there was multiple options to like break in some doors and stuff or you could find a way to sneak around or like hack in through some doors. And I was just like, oh, these would require dumping so many of my uh, attribute points that I have to max that stat up so I could do it. Yeah. Or I did spend some points previously and now I can have a double jump and creative jumping is a classic video game way to get into any situation. So the majority of my gameplay has been creative jumping to get where I need to go. Fair enough. And also sometimes just saying, man... I really should be driving places, but I've managed to get on top of these roofs, and now I'm just going to superhero run across this fucking city. Yeah, honestly, roof running is one of the really great part of Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk's a great game. Like, it's just sad that it wasn't a great game when it launched, and all the updates... Like, I get it, right? Like, The roof running just makes me want to play Infamous and Infamous Second Son again. I don't know. I can't play. I can't go back to Infamous. There's not enough in that game for me. I just liked the movement of it. And even then, the movement's not like the best movement, but it was just fun. Oh, I get you. Prototype's the same way for me. I love the movement in Prototype. I wasn't like, a huge fan of Prototype's movement. It felt like a watered-down Infamous movement. No. No, you just got to get enough points and everything to be like... It was too brute force movement and not enough like fluid movement. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know what game does have great movement, though? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. I need to play the sequel, but uh, Spider-Man had great movement. Agreed. I remember when that when Spider-Man for the PS4 came out, sometimes you would just turn the game on. Not not you specifically, but like the, the general, general you. Yep. You would just turn that game on to swing around as Spider-Man for 30 minutes and accomplish nothing. nothing. Besides being Spider-Man. It's, it was brilliant. Just brilliant. Honestly, I've been playing a lot of Risk of Rain 2 lately. Like Risk of Rain 2, yeah. Marvel Snap, and Marvel Midnight Suns have been like my video games right now. Yep. But, like, my favorite thing in Risk of Rain 2 is the way me and my friend play. We set it so when you kill enemies, 
they drop items and you can choose what item you want to pick up instead of just yeah. getting random get, getting randomly given items and like as much as you need to be focused on the build for your character so you can continue playing just getting all the feathers is important so you can just jump everywhere getting hoopa feathers and goat hoofs yeah like speed and jumps that's just, all you really need in a game and then like picking up afterburners to give you more your utility ability which for my two characters that i like enjoy playing commando and huntress both their utility build abilities are movement huntress is a teleport yeah and commandos is a dive roll yeah but having extra stacks of those utility moves along with the high jumps and the speed it, the movement in risk of rain 2 once you get going feels so fluid fair but at the start of at the start of a run you feel like a fucking tank no matter who you're playing and some characters feel way worse like yeah just I can see it. so bad but yeah fluid movement is just chef's kiss yeah, any other topics? Because I don't. Mine's really just cyberpunk. I mean, it really depends. Do we want to talk about wrestling? The answer for me is not really. There's some cool stuff going on in AEW. CM Punk made his debut in WWE. Gross. There's a bunch of like fan warfare because WWE fans think, ha ha, we have CM Punk now, you guys don't. And AEW's just like, it's fine, we don't want him. He's and AEW fans are like, no, no, you don't understand. We fired him because he was getting in fights backstage. We don't want the motherfucker. And it's just a, I, the, the internet wrestling community sucks. And I just want to watch people pretend to fight and tell stories. And I'm going to give my general addendum that I always do. All internet fandoms suck. Yeah, so I think I just think some internet fandoms suck more. Fandoms are bad. You so, can find really cool people in fandoms, and there are some people who do some really great shit in fandom spheres. But my general consensus is the majority of fandoms get toxic and weird and bad. Yeah, I, actually, well, what we're talking about toxic fandoms, <laughs> and while I'm talking about wrestling, Sean Ross Sapp, the host of fightful the editor-in-chief of fightful the guy who makes who is responsible for making like six more hours of wrestling content a week that you watch for some reason he's not all just review stuff he also does like backstage (laughs) stuff and interviews and just a it's a very large umbrella what fightful covers but he's also trained he also trained as a professional wrestler and he trained mma and last weekend he had a match against a good friend of his named shaza mckenzie yeah uh it's an intergender match but like she's an actual professional wrestler at this point and he is mostly a dirt sheet dude so like but he like spent a year getting in shape for it and like he took no money from the match the money that the black legal pro paid him he instead donated to nami the national alliance for mental um health national uh alliance for mental illness i believe yes that's what it is and like he spent the entire month or Or association it's it's an i so it's i was talking about for the a Oh. oh yeah maybe he spent the entire like two months run up of like advertising for this, yep. like just pushing donations for Nami. Like Fair. him and Shaza together raised, counting his what would what would have been his paycheck for the match, almost eleven thousand dollars for Nami or something like that. Not bad. Um, six thousand that was direct donations from fans donating for it. Very nice. And you still have people being like, "Oh, Sean Ross Sapp only beats up women." Da 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 da. And like he didn't win the match. Yeah. He didn't beat up a woman. He got one really good drop toe hold and mostly got his ass kicked. Yeah. He did stunt work with a friend uh-huh. to raise money yeah. for an important charity. Yeah, exactly. No, I just hate people that also just say that shit in general about intergender matches. Like, I'm not a huge wrestling fan. We've made this very clear. Yeah. Like, but, I, like, anything about that, like, fuck off. I get to a certain extent why, like, WWE won't push to intergender matches. Yeah, because people are sexist assholes who don't realize these are people doing stunt work and they're generally working with people they really enjoy or they're trying to tell a story they really enjoy. And also, like, you can make an intergender match look 
terrible. Like, yeah. not, not like look terrible like a wrestling match, but you can make it look terrible to somebody watching it. Like, you yeah. can make it look like a domestic abuse allegory. Like, that's a thing you could do. Yeah. I have never seen an inter match post-Attitude Era. Done in that manner? Done in that manner. Because it's not meant to be. It's meant to be empowering for everyone involved, and it's meant to be a fun story. That's not a fun story that anyone wants to take part of. People don't want to be a victim in that situation. Mm-hmm. Like, no one wants to be in that story wrestling is generally wrestling is just nerdy power fantasy for people who like wrestling that's what wrestling is nowadays wrestlers want to tell a power fantasy about whatever sometimes it's a dark power fantasy sometimes it's a comedic power fantasy well, it's not always power or sometimes fantasy. they just want to tell a comedy piece through yeah. physical work or sometimes it's like this is a deep story about like struggling with your inner demons and overcoming them yeah and like, but even then, that's a that's a power fantasy. Yeah, it's it's about being strong enough to like. Yeah, overcome. it's a power fantasy yeah. about your mental health at that point. Yeah, and like like that's what Malachi Black's whole thing is. That's what Mox's stuff is. Yeah. a lot of like that stuff is about being stronger than the worst parts of yourself. And like that's empowering. That's cool shit. Like when Mox is talking about like how he till like two years ago was legitimately struggling with alcoholism and and like painkillers and stuff, and now he's clean and doesn't drink and like. Is it actively in a better place? Like, but he talks about how like hard it is sometimes to like be on the road with these guys who do go out and drink because yeah. like they're twenty something year old dudes. They're thirty. They're young. They're in their early thirties, and he is going into his hotel, checking in early, not going to hang out with his friends because he doesn't want to put himself at risk of relapse. Like, I don't know. Uh, but no, yeah, exactly. Like, it's power fantasy, and what people want to see from intergender matches can most. summarily be summed up like just go watch lucha underground and watch sexy star do her shit yeah like sexy star wasn't a victim ever even when even when um mil moretes destroyed her she wasn't the victim like she provoked mil moretes and like that's a terrible like domestic abuse if like you're you're taking that as an allegory like she was actually trying to start a fight with mil moretes and his character is literally a dude who kills people like that's his character problem is people in intergender matches are taking in these non-wrestling ideas and applying them to it when Mm -hmm. wrestling especially when we're talking about an intergender match like this i don't feel like the wrestlers are going to be like well this is what i have to do because i'm the woman and this is what you have to do because you're the guy it's we are both wrestlers we both want to tell this story Mm -hmm. the stories hardly ever especially in an intergender match revolve around the issue of their gender yeah no in the case of If if it's mentioned it's normally by an announced team and it's not a big proponent of the story. It's just like it, something they'll throw out. But yeah, like, the announcing... That's not part of the story. The story is not focusing on their gender. Their no, story the... is focusing on a bigger concept normally. No. If it is focusing on gender, it's probably going to be focusing on the inequality of the situation. Mm-hmm. It's like... Uh, by which I mean the inequality of like not being able to get spots or these matches because of their gender, not getting enough brand appeal. Or like the inequality in like the same way that a good announced team puts over Rey Mysterio trying to like go up against somebody like Bobby Lash. Ashley or a Kane or Undertaker. It's, oh, he has a long way to go because he is five and a half feet tall and this dude's like, almost seven feet. Yeah. And that's the same way intergender matches are put over when good good announced teams handle them. It's, oh, this match is unevenly balanced. What can she do to like bring that back in her favor? In Rey Mysterio's case, it's always, he's high flying and fast. Yeah. Going into the mentality of like, oh, this female wrestler's weaker. She's going to be bad because she's female is an extremely negative sexist viewpoint there. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you have to walk into every intergender match and immediately root for the woman. No, that's not going to be good for the story. That's not going to necessarily fit the character that they're portraying. Or maybe you just don't like them. But going in with the view, of like, oh, well, this insert other person is immediately horribly violent and awful because they're fighting the woman. No, because you're immediately 
unempowering the female wrestler at that point just because they're a woman. You are participating in being extremely sexist by immediately outcrying an issue that has not appeared. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's that's wrestling. I, I, I can't stand the IWC. Like, Sean Ross Sapp and Shaza did this really cool thing for charity, and it was... It came together because, like, Shaza saw a video of Sean from back when he did do wrestling stuff, yeah. doing a flat-footed jump from the, from the ground to the hood of a car, and she's like, "Holy shit! He he's got like, he's got, he's got some jump." Yeah, and like that video led to them like joking about, "Oh, I could beat you in a match. Oh, I could beat you in a match." Yeah. Like, haha. But because they're both internet personalities as well, that spun out into like their fans, their fandoms being like, "Oh, Sean Rossap could beat you in a match. Oh, Shaz McKenzie could beat you in a match." And like because the joke spun out so far, well, they that, said, "Let's fucking do it." Yeah, and yeah. like so what? It it it's it was for charity. It's two friends working together. Like the biggest thing, and like especially with intergender matches, the biggest thing to remember is wrestling is just drama. It's, it's fake. Just, it's, it's it's just fake. theater. It's all fucking theater. Yeah, you don't get upset when fucking Black Widow fights someone in an MCU film. Fuck off. Sorry about the wrestling spiel, but like, uh, it just it's aggravated fine. me it's so much. It's the last bit of time that I wanted us to get to. Uh, yeah, that's I, why I asked if you had another topic. Otherwise, I was just gonna be like, cool, we're done. It just aggravates me so much sometimes. But I guess that's why when you enjoy something, you should do your best to just stay away from internet fandoms. Like, yeah, they just ruin the experience in a way that they're weird, toxic, and gross more often than not. And if you can find a nice little corner of the internet where your inter- weird little fandom can thrive without all that, cherish it. Oh, God, cherish oh, it. Oh, and tell no one else. They will find a way to ruin it. Oh, yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's been this in the cockpit. Yep, we'll probably be back. Probably. But if some you want- Christmas-related stuff because, oh, my fucking God, you cannot find a series about Hanukkah or fucking Kwanzaa or Saturnalia or Yule or any fucking thing you don't know how many holidays i looked up how many holidays i looked up trying to find series about them just so i could have something to review that wasn't fucking christmas no i couldn't i couldn't do it justice christmas is the default holiday not because it's christian but because it's capitalist i'm aware i'm aware and you know what? I appreciate that these other religions or like cultural identities have held on to like the important parts of their celebration so much that they haven't capitalized on them yeah. in a capital form. Yeah, honestly, that's that's li- fantastic. It's actually really inspiring and great to know. It's highly impressive. But also, I don't like Christmas movies and shows. They're bad. Oh, I, I can't. But we're probably going to review one on the twenty second, anyways. I can't wait till next week at work because. For an hour, every time I have control of radio, just a solid hour of Christmas music every day. You're the worst fucking person. We have the radio on at work, so I constantly hear it anyways. Uh, I'm I'm, not exist. Just solid hour every time. Anyways, though, if you want to contact us and tell us that Christmas movies or shows are good, I guess, which is a lie. But if you want to blatantly try to lie to us, you can do so by emailing us at copilotsreview at gmail.com. You could hit us up on Twitter at copilotsreview. We are also on... One of the Twitter replacements ah. at Copilot's Review. I don't remember which one. Search them all. Threads. That's the one. No. Oh, yeah. No. We're, no. Instagram, did, Instagram did not approve our name. Uh, I don't know. But uh, we're not on Blue Sky yet, so don't look for us there yet. In addition to Twitter, you can find us on YouTube, you can find us on Patreon, and you can find all of those on our website. At copilot'sreview.simplecast.com. See you on the next flight.